Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Politics Done Right. I am your host, Egberto Williams. This is the progressive program that will take the mystery out of politics. This is the program that will encourage you to make sure government becomes we the people. Whether you are liberal, conservative, or otherwise, you get to air your point of view. Remember, you can also send me a tweet to E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L-I-E-S. That is, at Egberto Williams. Let us engage. It is politics done right. One, two, three, four. Well, folks, welcome to one more edition of Politics Done Right. I'm Egberto Willis, your host. Thank you so kindly for spending this time with us. Today, we're going to be talking about, first of all, our great big win. That was a huge win yesterday for Obamacare. That was a huge big win for the grassroots of this country, for those people who spent their time, who got out there and fought the good battle. We cannot stress, we cannot stress enough how big that win was. Remember, Democrats and those supporters of, uh, of the Affordable Care Act do not control any, any part of government at this time. So for exactly what happened, what we saw happen this week, let me tell you folks, it is bigger than anyone is willing to overtly admit. This actually puts the entire Trump agenda at risk. Why? Because this wasn't a this was this wasn't something that was unavoidable. This was something that they decided to do in a particular manner. And you know what? Because of you they fail. So what are we going to talk about today? Today we are going to talk about, yes, we have to, yes, we had a big win. Let's enjoy it today. Let's enjoy it tomorrow. Let's enjoy it for a few days. Let's just absorb it. But I hope one of the most important things we realize going forward is this is just the beginning. Things are just getting started. You know why? The way Obamacare was written, HHS, that department, Human Health Services Department run by Dr. Price, that department has a whole lot of power. And they have what I call the power of sabotage. And that is what we have to be very cognizant of, the power of sabotage. Listen to what President uh, to what Trump said yesterday. Well, maybe it's a good thing that the bill didn't pass. Maybe it's okay that it, that it all went through the drain. And why did he say that? Because it'll just collapse on its own. It's going to explode is what he said. He said the bill is going to explode. Well, uh, they, the bill won't explode on its own. They can make it explode. And that is what we as the folk, we the folks who are watching this stuff now have to be very careful of. And we have to keep our eyes 
wide open. We have to be cognizant of what can occur, but also we have to educate. And I tell you something else, and I'll, I'll walk into this a little bit later, but Trump also wants a deal. When he spoke about, yes, he gave Nancy Pelosi and uh, Chuck Schumer a hard time, but he wants a deal. He really wants a deal because he wants to come out on top and he wants to be able to say at some point in time, Trump care. He wants that. Don't let him fool you. He wants that. So what are we, beforehand, I want to talk about, before I get into the blog of the week, I want to remind people of something that is very important. We've been here before. It's funny because back in 2009, Many of us uh, were working with, hello, uh, Linda, hello, uh, Janine, buenas, welcome aboard. And let's see who else is here, Christy and a few others, welcome aboard the show. Um, back in 2009, we were very, very active. A whole group of us um, did a, were working with CNN then, and we did a whole lot of eye reports. We were independent, uh, independent grassroots uh, um, what we call citizen journalists and CNN picked us up and there were a group of us that we really got a whole lot of mentions on CNN, both your website on, on air. In fact, I think I appeared on air on CNN probably, I don't know, a hundred and something times with some of the documents that some of the, uh, the videos that we did. Now we need a whole lot more of that. 541, I see you online. I'll be bringing you in right after the blog of the week. Um, we worked hard. We worked very hard to try to get the body politic, a whole, the masses, to really understand what Obamacare was. Because what we felt is that the, Demo- the, Democrats, who brought, the Democrats who wrote Obamacare, one, were not explaining Obamacare to the people the way they should, and two, many of what they did with Obamacare played into the hands today of the Republicans. Number one, if they had gone single payer, we wouldn't have had the problems. People would not have been seeing at all any types of premium, premium increases or whatever. They would be paying their bill and taxes would go up sometimes, like taxes always go up sometimes and things would be done, but everybody would share the bill progressively, meaning those people at the bottom of the scale who could barely afford anything, they would pay in little. Those multimillionaires, those multi-billionaires would have paid a lot, but to them, a lot is our little. That said, we didn't, we didn't even go there as a start. Second, when it came to using the public option, we had majority support from Democrats, but as usual, Democrats that were on the dole of the corporatocracy they prevented the, the uh, public option from coming. So what am I trying to put about this? Later on, we're going to have to talk about when the sabotage begins on Obamacare this year. We have to start not only talking about the sabotage that is occurring, but what has to be fixed to make this a better, a better plan. But anyhow, what we're going to talk about, what we're going to start with today, my friends, is something that I heard from Ali Belshi this week. And it made me proud again to watch 
that some of our journalists are actually doing their job. Some of our journalists have decided that it no longer matters if uh, it, they're not going to try to appease the right wing talking a whole lot of junk themselves. They're going to challenge them. They're going to say, we're not going to allow you to use our airwaves to misinform Americans. In fact, we are in a pickle that we are today because of a media, and in trans, uh, rather a derelict media that allowed misinformation to grow, that allowed many people to hear things that weren't true, but were never refuted appropriately, neither by the media and by a fickle, a fickle Democratic Party who appears to not understand how to fight, how to support the people that want them. So this isn't only on Republicans, folks. This is also on Democrats. And for progressives here who believe the only path to progressive values is through the Democratic Party, I say then you better go into the Democratic Party and change the Democratic Party by starting at the grassroots and becoming precinct chairs where you have the possibility of electing people in the Democratic Party domain that will serve democratic principles that will serve progressive principles and in serving progressive principle serve all of America, not some of America. But folks, I think you know what time it is. It's time for the weekly blog post. Okay, the blog post today is a little bit about, it's it's all about Obamacare, but it isn't about specifically what occurred, the bill that occurred right here. And 541, I'm coming to you in a second, right after this, this, the blog of the week. Now, but it's important because it shows how we're supposed to handle misinformation, especially coming from those who people generally respect. The problem is a lot of people on the right have used their respectability to lie and to make their lies become a reality. We've got to stop that. But anyway, the title of the blog of the week for this particular one is called Ali Belshi destroys a flustered former Senator Tom Coburn with pesky health care facts. And here it goes. Once again, Ali Belshi was forced to school a misinforming right-wing Republican politician on the real facts. You again. Okay. Once again, Ali Belshi was forced to school a misinforming right-wing Republican politician on the real facts about health care. He did not let the lies slide. And here it goes. Ali Belshi continues his attack on, on the fallacies coming from the right-wing Republicans on health insurance in general and Obamacare in particular. Belshi started by pointing out that the polls for both President Trump himself and the Trump care bill in particular are terrible. Former Senator Tom Coburn began to get flustered. He said, polls should not be believed, using the 2016 election as an example. Of course, the reality is, you know, if all these Republicans right now are constantly saying, hey, you don't have to believe polls anymore. Remember, Trump was not supposed to win. Well, hell, Trump didn't win. Trump didn't win the popular vote. The polls were actually correct. As I, says, as I say here, look, of course, the reality is, that 2016 polls were mostly accurate and within the margin of error. Most of them were. They just failed cumulatively in the wrong places for Hillary Clinton. 
But remember, she won the popular vote by almost 3 million people. Belshi eventually pulled the poll off the screen, stating that Senator does not believe in polls. Remember, folks, we're in dangerous terrain right now because what these guys are trying to do is they're trying. Yes. Uh, hey, Ray Holder, my cousin. How are you doing, my buddy? Anyhow, the reason why they, are, they want to disregard polls and disregard institutions, the CBO and all these guys, is because to pass their lives, to pass policies that will hurt the middle class, they don't, want any, they don't want the middle class saying, let me see if that policy is going to be good for me. Let me check the CBO. Let me check the CPC. Let me check these other places that normally, that institutionally we've used to validate whether a policy is good or bad or the results of some policy where we can then make changes. They don't want those validated at all because they know that the policies that they're passing is definitely anathema to their own constituents and anathema to America at large. Anyway, Belchi eventually pulled the poll off the screen, stating the senator does not believe in polls. Coburn implied the reason why polls may be bad is that no one understood the bill. So here it is at first he's disregarding the polls, and then now he's saying, well, the reason the poll is bad is that nobody understands the bill. Belchi said he has been doing his job to educate Americans. And if you notice what I've I've written several blogs about what Belshi's been talking about recently, and Belshi, Ali Belshi has been doing that very well. And it's great that he was born in Canada. It's great that he fell under Canadi- the Canadian single-payer system for a very long time because he could come here to America and explain exactly how a system that works, work. Anyhow, Coburn implied the reason why polls may be bad is that no one understood the bill. Belshi said he has been doing his job to educate Americans. When people find out what it is, what is what's in it, Belshi said, when they find out what they're about to lose, those numbers get worse and worse and worse. So you may not believe the polls, but you can at least believe the trend that fewer people now support repealing Obamacare today than they did on election day and on inauguration day. Or Coburn agreed, but blamed it on what people are saying about the bill. He forgot that Republicans in, 20, in 2009 invented the lies about Obamacare, death panels, throwing grandma off the bus, and much more. The difference is that the attacks on Trump care are truthful. Everything that's been said about Trump care right now is fact, it is written, it is done, it is known. The difference is that the attacks on Trump care are truthful. The attacks on Obamacare were what? They were lies. Nobody was ever going to have to go in front of a death panel. Nobody was throwing grandma out of the bus. Nobody was creating all these government turnover of government. You can't have a government turnover. And I wrote this in several articles and several newspapers pick this one up. You cannot talk about a government takeover of health care when all the individual facets within the domain of healthcare is privately owned, corporate owned. It is a lie. It is easily, I mean, go to your doctor. Ask your doctor if the government is paying the check. Go to your hospital. Ask the hospital who owns the, the hospital. All the monies you pay in premiums, all the monies you pay to doctors, it pays the doctors, it pays the hospitals, and then the overflow goes into the pockets of shareholders. Why do they want to call it a government takeover? Because the shareholders want even more money. The corporatocracy wants even more money. So they have to say this is a takeover just because there are rules now that tell them they have to, their insurance must take care of you. 
The doctors must take care of you. The hospitals must now take care of you. All Obamacare is is a body of laws, a body of taxes, a body of regulations that say you have to treat people with dignity. You have to be honest with them. You can't rip them off. But the GOP doesn't want that, and that's why Trump Care looked the way it did. That's why Trump Care said, "Oh, we don't need to give maternity. Uh, we don't need to give maternity care to a man." No, yes, you do. The women have the men's babies. So what? Are they just containers? Please, let's. And the fact that Democrats did once, once, once. Trump care, remove all these issues. The, the fact that Democrats didn't make, the, create the narrative of immediately when they said, oh, you may not want maternity care, and make that a gender issue, because it is a gender discriminatory issue, shows the fickleness that, we re, that the Democratic Party continues to maintain in fighting against reality. Anyhow, continuing, my friends. Coburn agreed, uh, but he blamed it on people are saying about the bill. He forgot that Republicans in 2009, I read that, that part already. It, it only got worse afterwards. Coburn went on the attack on the CBO. You don't want to believe CBO stuff, which is bipartisan, nonpartisan, Bill, she replied. You don't want to believe polls. Do we guess? Do we just throw spaghetti at the wall and see what works, see what sticks? Coburn then used one study in Pennsylvania to blame Medicaid for Obamacare problems. You know, anytime there's a problem in any of our social programs, just blame those poor people, just blame those minorities, just blame those, you know, those white people that are different than everybody else. That's what they do. Categoric, categorize folks, separate them from who they think their base and the majority of their base is, and then make those the villains, and then everybody else then goes attack the villain. That is how they do. That's not the problem. Anyway, Coburn then used the study in Pennsylvania to blame Medicaid for Obamacare problems. Ali Belshi, though, didn't let it stand. That's not really the problem with health care, Belshi said. The idea that America pays double per capita than any other developed nation, it's not because people are lying on their Medicaid. The problem is that the cost is twice as much as they are for any other developed nation with lower outcomes and with lower expect life expectancies. A flustered Coburn disputed the point, saying, it's not true, it's not true, and he started screaming, it's not true. Of course it's true. With all due respect, Belshi said, those are not poll numbers. Yes, he doesn't believe poll numbers, but these are facts. These are quantitative. These are absolute facts. That's 100% true, Belshi said. As Coburn continued spewing misinformation and lies, Belshi pointed out, that our healthcare costs are more than double that of industrialized nations. He gave the fact-based numbers, and here are the fact-based numbers to my people on, on, a, on a Facebook Live. Developed countries spend $3,814 per capita, per person, per year in developed countries. In America, we spend 9400 $51 per person per year on health care, almost three times as much. Folks, that three times as much is interesting. 
That isn't money going into your health care because you know what? The outcomes in all these other countries are better than ours. More people live, they live to older lives out there. And there are a lot of things that people like to put in. Oh, well, we have more car accidents. We have more shootings. Well, that's part of healthcare as well, okay? These people have a tendency to do a better job. And that is what we have to do as a people, do a better job. And also, you see that delta, the amount of money that we pay more? That is money into the, into the coffers of the corporatocracy and the shareholders. We use Healthcare as a we we consider healthcare a product. I wrote an article about healthcare not should not be considered a product that you need to check out at EgbertoWillies.com. And by the way, while you're here, go ahead and please like Politics Done Right that uh, Politics Done Right here on um on Facebook because we need to increase that base. Anyhow, what I'm going to do before I go into more monologic talking is get to my first caller five four one five four one. Who do I have the honor of speaking with? I think you're talking to Janine. Janine, talk to me, my friend. Janine, folks, she is one of our stalwart board members at Coffee Party USA. How are you doing, Jay? I'm doing really well. I uh, love your Saturday morning show. Thank you. So uh, healthcare is near and dear to my heart. Uh, a lot of people may not know that um, my bachelor's degree is in human health and I have experience working with health planning organizations and health delivery organizations. And um, I think that there's so much mumbo jumbo out there about healthcare. It just, I have a hard time reading anything from the left or the right uh, mm-hmm. because we get into all kinds of somatic games that don't work. But the one thing I wanted to point out is in our quest for solid information, and you just gave some, right, about mm-hmm. You know, what we spend on health care and where those costs lie. I want to point to the fact that actuarials, you know, mm-hmm. people who calculate expense, right, they look into the future. And I got to tell you, I've never known an actuarial who wasn't like a total genius. They mm-hmm. really know what they're doing. They are nonlinear thinkers. They see trends that I mean, if you were to talk to an actuarial, you'd almost feel like they should have their tinfoil hat on. But everything they think is based on actual facts. And the place where it kind of goes sideways for consumers like you and me is when they deliver information to you or they deliver information to their employers, they have to act within some givens. So they aren't just asked how many women are going to have babies with complications, you know, I mean, they, they could tell you that. That's in the raw data. Uh, what kind of factors lead to complications in pregnancy? They can tell you that, clear as a bell. But when you get numbers from insurance companies, those numbers have been, I don't want to say bastardized, but they've been complicated. Maybe that's a better word with what are our profit goals? What are our shareholder right. goals? Right. What are our corporate income goals? And so if we can rely on the actuarials, we can know everything about the cost. And so that's why I think when we just went through this sort of stampede towards um, supposedly a new health care bill, there weren't hearings and there wasn't public testimony and there wasn't that, this kind of actuarial information introduced into the conversation. Absolutely. And, you know, they don't want that data there because what happens is 
you know, people are people all uh, people are people. People are the same all over the industrialized world. Whether you're in Canada, the United States, Italy, uh, uh, Sweden, or or wherever, and 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 that that we can, you know, you just made an important point, and I'm coming to you after John. You made an important point, Janine, when you say that they're they're the folks who the actuary, the folks who do the actuary. That's that's one thing. The other point is we know costs. In other words, we know that in the aggregate, the cost for healthcare in America is 9,000 plus for Americans per person. And in the industrialized countries, it's 3,000 something per person. We know that. There has to be some something that justifies the difference in those prices, right? And uh, we can infer, given that the lifespan, and as much as the lifespan is worse for Americans than let's say Canadians or the British, we can infer that they're within a year or two of each other. We can infer that our biologies, our national biologies, if you will, are pretty darn similar. And therefore, for similar biologies that I'm talking about, meaning our health biologies, et cetera, why should America be three times as much if it really doesn't have it, anything to do but with gouging? Because Americans live overseas and they live under those other medical systems just fine. So, Point taken, uh, Jenny. Well, the, uh, my only comment there, and I know you have other callers, is what I call cascading opportunism. So mm-hmm. the um, the insurance. I like company, that term. Yeah. Well, it's I don't know a better way to describe it because okay, the the insurance companies know that if a shareholder can get one percent more somewhere else, they go. You know, right. just like the shareholders in the hospitals and just like the shareholders in the clinics and just like the shareholders. Uh, in other words, we have such uh, a dividend-oriented a dividend market that every time, every step, whether it's uh, the insurance company, the doctor you go to, the hospital you see, the anesthesia company, the, all of that, they've all got to take their cut. And the cut is huge. It's not small because they're competing among – they don't compete for our business. They compete for shareholders. Right. And so the exacerbation of this belief that my money should earn money gets us to a, a stock market that's over 21000 Christ, I remember when it crossed 1000 I remember that. In my lifetime, you know, and um, that's where it's at. So um, – I know John always has a lot of great things to say. I'll, I'll stand by if you want to talk to me again. Uh, oh, okay. But in the meantime, I'm going to leave your mic hot and I'm bringing John in. John, welcome to the show. How are you doing, my brother? Good, good, good afternoon. How are you doing? Great. Talk to me. First of all, what's your impressions about our, what I, I want to, I want everybody to think about it as a temporary victory. Yeah, it, it's temporary, but I mean, you know, I remember on your on your show, I was saying that, uh, you know, for the the things that Bernie was going to do on January fifteenth, I said he needs to do that earlier. He needs to do it on the eighth because, you know, <laughs> we, we may not have the time. You know, right. I was still in the mode, still being afraid that when Trump said we're gonna we're gonna I'm gonna sign this on the first day. You know, uh, I thought that that was a possibility, and a lot of people thought there was a possibility. Now, a lot of people thought that the Freedom Caucus was going to, you know, pull their shenanigans, which they did. But I mean, I think the 
the general uh, I the the reason that this went down because there were almost as many people uh, from the moderate Republicans as opposed to the the Freedom Caucus that took this down also. There were about 15 that vote that uh, weren't going to vote for it from the moderate side because they were afraid of what was going to happen in the midterms. So, I mean, you know, I think it's a, a, a great victory for the Indivisible movement and all the people who went to the town halls and, and uh, stood up and, and let their voice be heard. It was just an incredible victory. You're absolutely right about the uh, the sabotage. Uh, I mean, I, I guess we can. the thing we can do is put pressure on price. This is actually going to be happening in the next two months because, like I've spoken about before, you know, these, this is when essentially they, the, the insurance companies start putting their plans together for next year. And so, I mean, this, this is really going to be – should be happening uh, in the next two, two months. And so, uh, you know, right now the two biggest things that, that I'm concerned about uh, obviously are the individual mandate – uh, and also uh, the Medic Medicaid, uh, like I, I said a sentence about last month. Well, essentially, they want to take a lot of Medi- Medicaid uh, expansion benefits away and just make it to where, you know, it just it's going to cover like uh, very few people, like it is in a lot of red states that don't have Medicaid expansion, like Texas. And so th- those are the two main things. Uh, one thing I, I do want to speak. Let me let me ask you to hold one second to speak to that because I want to say something first of all. I got a um a, a, a Facebook message uh, post yesterday from somebody that said the following: Don't give them. All, uh, uh, when I I was given I gave all the credit to the success of what of this to both our revolution and indivisible and this person responded to me and said. Um, uh, I, I need it. I want to say this because I want to make sure people keep their heads up high. They, she said, Egberto Willis, I'm happy about what happened, but wondering if the Freedom Caucus did more to stop this bill than we did. Do, do you have some thoughts on this? I love that he is zero two right now, meaning uh, that, that currently uh, Trump is zero for two on his success. I want to read my reply to her because I think it is important for us to understand what, what transpired, and it went as follows. Don't give them all the credit there, here is the deal. If Trump, Ryan, appeased the Freedom Caucus, absent the fear that our revolution and indivisible installed in the conventional Republicans, they would have acquiesced to the draconian policies that they have consistently caved to so far. So it is your work, meaning the work of all of us in the grassroots, that actually owe the success of what occurred yesterday because what we did is yes they are moderate republicans but thus far since the tea party has taken over the right wing has consistently won i know there are going to be some issues people are going to say well they didn't get xyz well those are the parts where they had to kind of negotiate with democrats etc 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 but for all practical purposes the left uh, rather the, the the moderates have consistently caved to the to their nutty side and it was you indivisible it was you our revolution who made those guys think for a second oh my god i got to go back to my district and just maybe my electorate is going to look different why am i inserting this before john finishes his piece here because i want those that are listening now to realize one thing 
we cannot take the pressure off. Because what has to happen going forward? John just mentioned that this is now where insurance companies set pricing. This is also now where Dr. Price, the secretary, the Human Health and Services Secretary, is going to make regulations. They talk about regulations. He's the one who's going to interpret Obamacare regulations, which are, from what I understand, very flexible in the writing, which gives him a whole lot of power. What we have to dictate to our Congress people now is that we have to tell them, you know, we've been talking to the to Republicans saying, do your job. Now it's time to talk to Republicans and Democrats and say, do your job. Know what the executive is doing in the HHS office. Know what regulations they are starting to change before they make it or before they officialize it. We must know that now. We can't let them do that behind closed doors, which when they do that will force the insurance companies to then make an adjustment and then say, well, we're doing this because HHS changed the regulation. We must know what these regulations are now. So what, how do we know what they are now? We, in, as individuals, won't necessarily know because it won't be an open secret. It won't be on all these different boards. But here's what you do. You go ahead and you tell your congressperson that they must query the department. They can put in requests to the departments to inform. And if the department inform in an otherwise irresponsible manner where it will affect insurance companies, we must let it be known. We must also tell our congresspeople that they must be addressing the insurance companies directly and asking them what changes have been instituted on them from the executive. They must engage. They must do their job. They must earn the $200,000 or whatever it is that they're making. They must earn it. So every single indivisible person, we won the first part of the battle. We got it done. We got it done. Now we have to pressure our Congress people to go ahead and find out what's being changed. Sorry for that, John. I just needed to uh, get that in, my friend. Ahead, okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that to a certain extent, but I mean, I, I disagree slightly in the fact that that you know we, the pressure really is on Price himself and the and and Trump because I mean they can just do this in, anyway. I, I do disagree also with you. They, they've actually been pretty honest about what they they've said they're going to do. I mean, like the thing I read last month. You know, they they come out with the this is their ideology. This is what they believe. And uh, I think this is more straightforward than you're, you're giving credit. They're, they're going to tell people. They're not going to – this is going to be in the public domain. Uh, okay, let, and let one second, John, and, and this is where I think I have to push back. Um, Obamacare by design will not collapse on its own, but they're informing their people that Obamacare is going to collapse. The only way Obamacare collapsed is if they make it collapse, but they cannot be seen outwardly making it collapse. Otherwise, it's theirs. That's what I'm trying to say. And there are several other folks that I noticed a lot of people picked that up this morning saying the same thing as well. As an example. No. Go ahead. But, but I mean, you know, in February, I mean, it, Trump signed an executive order on the 20th, you know, the, yes. the first day he was in office about this. Okay. And so – uh, Price had an interpretation about the individual mandate, I believe it was on the 14th of February, and so he put that out. And so, you know, it was still 
fairly ambiguous. And uh, but I mean, you know, also he put that thing out that there was to the governors about Medicaid last week. I believe it was like ten days ago. Mm-hmm. So. So I mean, these things are getting out there, and they they are in the public domain. They're not talked about a lot, but I mean, if you if you Google this stuff, you can find it. And so, uh, so you know, I mean, I, I just I think that this this stuff's going to be available, and uh, but, definitely we need to have our. I get all the HHS reports. I'm on their mailing list. I get the HHS reports, and what I'm saying about okay. it. So first of all. Uh, a lot of the speak in the HHS reports right now are the same kind of speech that you get currently now from um, from the Trump administration. In other words, the HHS reports used to be pretty darn straightforward when they came out. I've been getting them since the Obamacare started and, and uh, what's-her-name started releasing them. Now they are, they are a bit more glory, glory, hallelujah. That, and I, you can see the distinct difference as far as what's going on. So I, I think I must respectfully disagree with you on that one, my friend. Okay. Well, I mean, I mean, we'll see. This is something that I'm going to be looking for and going to be combing the internet to, to see, though, because I mean, because the insurance companies also, when they start, uh, you know, making this information public about, you know, their price increases, they're going to, they're going to uh, also want to say why this is happening. Oh and yeah. So that it, and so, you know, this is this is part of it too. Uh, one other thing. By then, by then, uh, I'm gonna let you finish your thought right now. But I want to remind you, if if the insurance comp by the time if we wait until the insurance companies has already formalized what their new rates are are, and then just saying, well, the reason it has to be this because this is a new law. By then, for all practical purposes, it's too late. But anyway, go ahead and make your point, my friend. Well. I mean, as much as I don't like the insurance companies, they also are in a pretty difficult situation yes, they because they need to formulate their policies. And, you know, if they change this after they, let's say, in November, you know, they're going to be in quite a predicament, you know. And I, I don't have sympathy for them, but, I mean, I do have sympathy for the people that aren't going to be covered. Th- those are the people right. that I care about. And so, unfortunately, since we don't have single payer, I think it's really important that, that – you know the insurance companies themselves, and this is another, uh, I think, is a part of pressure. And and I think this is a long-term strategy that they're concerned about. They're concerned about single payer because you know a lot of people in the insurance companies are going to lose their jobs uh, if single payer comes in. And it should come. I mean, I'm definitely for a single payer. And so my my point is is that, you know. The more pressure we put on people to put a single payer system in, you know, the the more likely that that they're gonna, you know, not necessarily they'll even take a loss, a short term loss, and have you know coverage for people as opposed to you know uh, having so much pressure built up to have single payer overcome them. I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, you know that they're thinking about this. I mean, there's just there's no doubt about this. I mean, mm-hmm. and uh, as far as a long term strategy, they know that the, the the need for single payer is there, and they have to fight this. In fact, that was one of the main reasons they accepted the ACA. You know, because something you brought up a very good point, John. Actually, that's a that's a that's a very powerful point. The the even the threat of single payer gaining traction. Could actually mitigate rate increases. <laughs> right, right. I mean, you know, because I mean, it, 
if if that happens, I mean, this, I mean, there's going to be a lot of people. I mean, yeah, everybody can be retrained, and you know, we'll have people working in the single payer system. But I mean, a lot of people will lose their jobs from the insurance companies, and they're going to have to find another way of getting a job. Just like all the people, you know, in the manufacturing industry, they're going to have to find a new way of getting a job. And and uh, but I mean, that's just the industry as it is. Right. Uh, one thing I want one thing I want to speak about as far as you know I know we've had this conversation about the the healthcare cost and what you were talking about as far as Ali Velshi was concerned one of the reasons why it's it's uh, so much higher here as opposed to I mean when he's talking about industrialized nations most of them are in, are in Europe I mean obviously you have Australia uh Korea uh Japan and uh, New Zealand and Aust- and Australia uh but i mean you know most of her in Europe and it's because of you know uh the doctors just don't make as much money and this is also going to the point that Janine was talking about which i also agree with very strongly about about shareholders and trying to uh you know, essentially, everybody's looking for the the best deal to make the most money in the market, and so I mean, this this also distorts our markets, and so uh, you know, if we can, I mean, this is this is a really hard task, but every for every doctor, and there's millions out there who make you know uh, a third less in European and in you know in Asian countries. That are industrialized. I mean, that's that's just a ton of money. That's just a lot of money, and I think that uh, that's not being talked about enough. And that is really a hard sell. Also, you're telling somebody who's been practicing for 20 years, uh, internal medicine doctor who on average makes two hundred thousand dollars, that your salary is going to go down to one hundred and forty thousand dollars, and it's going it, to you can't do it all at once because they'll just won't accept it. I mean, it's going to have to be a gradual thing that's going to happen. And so, but I mean, this this is a really, really uh, uh, strong uh, amount of money that it's being put out just paying in doctors. And if you look at the history of of resistance to uh, people getting better insurance, you know, it's been directed towards the AMA. And mm-hmm. all through this century, and they, you know, they they were the ones that didn't want Medicare to come in, you know, and it's it, they they're a very strong organization, and I, I just feel that that is something that that needs to be talked about when we talk about the cost of single payer, you know, part of that to lower the cost, you know, on a gradual basis, we're going to have to lower doctors' salaries because they're just way too high. Let me let me let me add a little something to that. First of all, let's let's get a few numbers out. Um, uh, in 2000, I'm just looking at an article from 2008, and I haven't completely verified it, but it's in the New York Times, and that is that told that that our healthcare dollars, uh, 10% of that goes to doctors. That's what goes to doctors. So, uh, reducing the doctor's salary by let's say 20%. Uh, would, will save quite a bit, but it is not of the total amount of our healthcare dollars. It's not a substantive amount. I think uh, what folks are going to find is that drug prices are really the huge, one of the huge factors, and also the the, the testing that we do. Uh, the, the, that we have too many places who do tests. I mean, we accuse Canada of people having to wait a few days to get a test. 
Well, over here, I don't know if you've ever go, gone to a lab and noticed how much of the equipment is always not in use. So that, that plays a, a major role in, in healthcare. But the other thing that I want to speak about to uh, sort of what you're saying here is one of the justifications for high doctor salary, and I can tell you that to the effect of my daughter uh, starting med school, I think, in, in June or so, is that, I mean, uh, the first year alone is probably going to cost her about $75,000, $80,000, okay? First year med school, and multiply that by three or by four, and you see the kind of cost that's going to be incurred here. Now, that said, that is one of the reasons they have the kind of price, the salaries that they have. I don't put them in the same category as I put for the stockbroker who does absolutely nothing of social benefit on, in the aggregate to justify their types of salaries. So my first instance would never be to immediately tackle the doctor, the current doctor's salary. Well, let me tell you what I would do. I would go ahead and start paying for doctor's education. What that means is folks who decide that they're going to go into primary cares or, or specialities that are costing our medical system too much money, I would, as a society, government, subsidize those who pass a particular rigor that says they're going to stay and stick with it. And after doing that, um, that justifies them not having to make the inordinate salaries that they have to make. And I, so I think we, it isn't a process, like I said, hitting the doctors now, I don't think it's all that important. I think it's more important to hit the testing, the, the labs, the hospitals, and the shareholders, to put it bluntly, is where we hit first. And then during that time, we train doctors who are going to school for all practical purposes free. They can come out and feel like $150,000 to a couple hundred thousand dollars it, in, in today's dollar, of course, it'll go up as time goes on. It's something that the hard studies that they're going to go through justifies because these people really work hard to get where they are. Now, some of them work hard knowing that they're going to make a killing, but I can tell you just based on what my daughter has done so far is it's a grueling, it's, a, it's one of those grueling professions to get there. And, you know, you, you, I, I think some, some high pays justify. My sister as well as a doctor, and I remember what she went through as a doctor, I mean, went through during her training. Come on in, Jen. Yeah, I mean, I I agree with what you're saying. I mean, we, I mean, there's there's so many things that where the whole system should be changed. I mean, what what you're saying about you know having, you know, having this paid for, you know, because it's an investment in our in our country. I agree with all of that. But I mean, right. once you're talking when, once you're talking about you know also subs, uh, prescription drugs. I mean, we need to be telling you know the. The politicians, you know, they should represent us, and we should be telling the insurance companies just like they do in the European nations. This is how much you charge, you know. This right. is how much you charge for drugs. You know, you're not going to be able to to uh, you know overcharge. This is, right. I mean, this is this is how much profit you can make because this is life and death, you know. And the fact that we don't do that in America just shows that there's a level of corruption. And it's that they had the inch. Did they have too much? Janine, want, I, I think I heard Janine trying to come in earlier. Is that right, Janine? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, well, and I'm I'm sort of chiming in. I was really glad that you mentioned the whole thing about doctors because, in terms of realized income for physicians today, 
they make less money now than they used to. I mean, if you'd been talking about this 15 or 20 years ago, you'd be right on about doctors' salaries. But I got to tell you where I live, doctors here are not rolling in the cash. And part of it is their um, medical school expenses. Part of it is the fact that because of HMOs and the spread of HMOs, they right. get a salary plus a, a benefit sharing, you know, um, but it's not what it used to be. And a lot of everybody my age, I'm 65, all my doctors that were my age got out the minute they could. They worked too hard for too little money for too long. Now, I agree with the notion of excessive testing. There is a myth of, uh, of a litigious public some places are more classically likely to sue a medical facility than others, but there is a mythology out, out there about it that causes over-testing. And I can tell you in my community in the last 10 years, testing is almost shamefully reduced. I mean, there, you know, anyway, so that's one of them. But I've got to tell you, if you're going to lock for cost savings, out there all those people doing data entry in those private companies all those people processing claims in those private companies, they're going to go work for the single-payer company. There's not going to be fewer claims. There's not going to be less traffic. There may be more, frankly. But the guys who are going to take it in the shorts are the CEOs that make between 10 and $20 billion a year or $1 million a year. The big pharma companies, if you start cracking down on them, those guys make $20 million a year. I mean, you got to know that, and it's not just the CEO. It's everybody in that boardroom are ma- is making such a shameful amount of money. It's not even crazy. And frankly, with the kind of tax cuts that have occurred uh, since the Reagan years and certainly were just blown apart in the Bush years and that we should anticipate as a method of sabotage of our current health care, more cuts to big money makers. The money that CEOs and insurance companies and pharmacy companies and uh, pharmacy CEOs and all these guys make that is no longer ending up in tax coffers, they just turn around and do lo- pay lobbyists with it. And the lobbyists make more tax cuts and more exceptions and prevent, like in Medicare D, they prevented the government from negotiating for drugs right. that it was going to purchase. Now, that's, I can't even believe that's constitutional. You know what I mean? It's like, how can you tell any purchaser that their vendor cannot negotiate, they cannot negotiate price with their vendor? Seriously. And so the amount of money not in the tax coffers, because the people who don't pay taxes anymore hire lobbyists instead, um, is astounding. So look at the fat cats. Follow the money. All those women who are overworked and underpaid doing data entry and processing claims and taking phone calls from uh, patients who are crying because they're going to banco over uh, medical costs, which, by the way, has not always been legal. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a huge expense to up. And so I don't care if you get rid of a few CEOs and, you know, Go from the number you have now to half of that, and there'd be a gigantic savings. Absolutely. I mean, and, and I, I, I'm glad that you brought that up, that a lot of the, the data crunchers are still going to be there and who gets hurt the most. And I, let me just give you another faction that gets hurt as well, and that is 
the insurance salespeople at Normalist Health Insurance. And I am on, I'm on Obamacare as well. I've been on Obamacare, but we, we don't get the, um, we don't get the, what do you get, the subsidies or anything like that. So we have to pay the full price of it. It's interesting because what we did a couple of years ago is we, instead of buying it on the exchange, since we weren't getting any, so if you want a subsidy, you have to purchase Obamacare on the exchange. If you purchase it outside the exchange, there's no subsidies at all. I mean, there's no, yeah, there's no subsidies. So since we weren't getting subsidies, I said, you know what the heck, we'll go ahead and look for different types of plans outside that are Obamacare compliant, meaning they follow all the rules. And I didn't realize that there, there are still some plans that you could buy that don't follow the rules, but it doesn't qualify for Obamacare and you can still end up paying the penalty having those plans. Didn't know that, just found that out a couple of years ago. But anyhow, um, the guy who sold the plan said, oh, it's not like before. We can't make the kinds of money that we used to make before. 50% of the price of the policy. In other words, some, this stuff was so lucrative for a person selling you the policies. He sells the policies and he gets over a thousand something dollars to sell you one policy. And some, if you're a big, big wheel up in selling these insurance, you can even get 100% of the first year of the policy. It is insane how we distribute income around this country, not based on performance, but mostly based on everything else. It's just amazing. Um, John, uh, let me see, but let me first address my folks here on, uh, on, on Facebook Live. Krista Cahill says, the biggest obstacles are big pharma and billionaires control of politicians. You're absolutely con- uh, correct. Uh, let's say, hi, Robert L. Mark, my buddy from KPFT. I agree with the youngest daughter. Your daughter's a microbiologist. Congratulations. Very tough, very, very tough subject. Okay, yes, we are live. And uh, let's see what else is there. Rachel Ford, now the Democrats need to propose a bill that could fix the problems with the ACA, propose a way for Medicare to be offered on the exchanges at the full premium, and maybe add family possibility. You know what? Uh, that is part of the Medicare for all. There's been talk about having... I don't know, John, if you, you, are, if you brought that up a few times, where they wanted to say uh, for people in a certain age group, I think it was 55 and over, to give them a Medicare buy-in. Had you heard of anything like that, John? Yeah, I mean, that, that, that was part of the – that was a plan, you know, you were talking about in 2009. Uh, that right. was part of part – of, there was, a, you know, there was, there was a, the Medicare buy-in uh, at 55. I, I, you know, I think that would be – Something that would, you know, would wouldn't necessarily cause great sticker shock like I think single payer would, but I mean it would also help people and kind of ease it in if you want to be, you know, pragmatic about it. Uh, or you can just try to, you know, convince people that, uh, you know, the the cost is worth it. And like you said earlier, you know, it's the 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 more uh, affluent people are going to pay more the the people who need the health care the most are going to pay you know less as far as an increase is concerned uh and so so that's good and also everybody will be covered and that that's one of the things that uh that, that I don't think you've mentioned before about you know the the, the formula is concerned the, the part of the formula is that, you know there's still I don't know what is it 8% of the people that aren't covered at all and so right. you know, the, all right. So all those pet people that that has to be added in also uh, to the cost. Uh, one thing I want to r- talk about real quick, uh, just an actual political thing, because I, I do think this is relating to the, you know the the change in mood in the country. You know, there are two uh, 
two two uh, uh, special. There's actually more than two special elections, but there are two special elections where uh, the Democrats, I think, are going to do pretty well. Uh, one poll just came out this morning. This guy John Ossoff is rated about 3.5 million from Daily Kos. Uh, he's right now. He's at 40 percent. Uh, he needs to get to 50 percent. That's yeah. The sixth district of Georgia, Tom Price's district. And so like he's at, uh, I, I didn't hear you. I'm sorry. There are like nine people running in that district. So if he wins, he's probably going to go in for a runoff. Yeah, I mean, right now he's at 40%, and this is the first polling actually today on the runoff, and he's actually up on by on three of the top four Republican candidates. And wow. so, like, uh, so I mean, that's really, really good news as far as. You know how is this how is this resistance actually going to be manifested? Uh, and I know some of the people in the resistance aren't necessarily you know Democrats, but I think most of them are. Uh, right. Are they going to support Democrats? And also, there was a first poll that came out in Montana's uh, uh, at-large bid, and uh, that they also had the Democrat Rob Quist up by uh, seven points over this guy, uh, G- Greg Gianforte, who's a Trump point. supporter. So that's yeah. not error. Great. Right, right. So that's a, that's a pretty big lead. Now, it's not a really good polling. It's a Google survey, so that's not a real good poll right. uh, historically. So I'm, you know, I'm looking for some better polling to come out. But, I mean, it just shows you that the mood of the country is saying, you know, we – we do not accept that you know you're going to take away the social safety net from us you know we do not accept this and now that the republicans are trying to govern they're finding that people aren't accepting it you know they're very good at propaganda and very good at saying you know that it blaming other people but i mean when you actually look at their policies it's it's really troublesome for people and you see that in in we're, we're running out of time, so I'm going to have to ask Janine to give me a closer, and then you give me a closer. So, Janine, give me a quick closer, my friend. Hey, so I want to give a shout-out to all the war horses who, in addition to um, Indivisible and Our Revolution, have been, you know, in the trenches about money and politics and all those things for all these years. So congratulations, all of us. Thanks. Thank you very much, Janine. John, give me a closer. Okay. Um Good show. Enjoyed it. Uh, you know, I, I just keep keep the fight up. Janine makes a good point. I mean, everybody that, that's spoken up about uh, money and politics, that's very important. And uh, hopefully we'll, we'll be moving towards something that's it's going to be focused more on human needs and the commons, as you've spoken about many times. Thank you very much, John. And thank you both, John and Janine, for calling in. And folks that are listening on Facebook Live, if you ever have the inkling, do call in as well so that your voices would not only be on Facebook Live, but throughout both on blog radio and Now, when I leave here, guess where I'm going, folks? I'm going to a rally in front of Culberson's office, or well, in the, in the um, auditorium where Representative Culberson from Texas District 7, who was in support of that health care plan had it had gone. Even though we won, notice, Indivisible and many other groups will be out there at Representative Culberson's town hall, and we intend 
to be heard. Everybody around the country, let's keep the pressure up. You won the battle. The sabotage is about to begin. We have to keep our ears wide open. We have to make sure and continue to activate, keep our families activated, friends activated, keep everybody activated. This is Politics Done Right. My name is Egberto Willis. Please remember to go to Politics Done Right on Facebook, like the page, and I'll see you next week.